Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Kessler's production. In this episode, I chat with Roy Kessel of Sports Philanthropy Network. I had the privilege of being featured on their podcast. We discussed opportunities in content creation, launching Sports Epreneur, and an athlete's transition to life after sports. And now, right into the episode with Roy Kessel. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Hello, this is Roy Kessel, and we're live on the Sports Philanthropy Podcast. I'm here today with Eric Kazimov. Eric is the founder and CEO of Sports Epreneur. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roy. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're excited to have you with us. I know you've done a lot of work in many areas of the sports industry, and we're going to focus that conversation on the sports nonprofit and uh, social entrepreneur type of space as we move forward. But I wanted you to get a chance to give everybody your background so they can understand how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for that opportunity, Roy. So it's interesting how I got here is I was in the insurance business. So that's not a typical answer that I would imagine you would get. So in the insurance business, I, I learned pretty early on that the messaging in that business is bad. But I have a long background. And my grandfather was in the insurance business from Western New York and Niagara Falls, New York. And as I was in that business, there's a lot of peace of mind type of work that you do and you're helping people out and you see that. But the messaging, like I said, isn't the best. Well, I'd gone through many different arenas in that insurance industry. And all along the way, I realized that things would change without your control. And the first time that that change was about 2002, 2003, or beginning of 2003, came home from a vacation and I had three voicemails on my phone. It was a Sunday night and I was going into work the next morning. And when I listened to these voicemails, I realized very quickly that I think that my company just got shut down. Looked at my wife, we're newly married. She says, why don't you go in tomorrow and see what happens? So sure enough, I go into my office the next morning. And as I get off the second floor elevator, there's security waiting for me to escort me to my desk because the entire office had been let go on Friday. And my Obviously, it was just coming back from vacation. I come to find out that I was just getting the news that I was expecting from hearing those voicemails on Sunday, go to my desk, took my personal belongings, couldn't get on the computer. Next thing you know, I go home and, and that's it, right? So you learn very quickly that things can change. Well, so I stayed in the insurance industry and eventually found myself in a position where I had a great company, worked there for nine years. All along the way, again, three different major changes happened in my company. The third one, living in Charlotte, North Carolina, never expected to work for a bank. I wake up one morning, here I go again. I get a call from one of my clients and I worked for a bank overnight. So that just happened. And I always wanted to start my own business. So I did that. I eventually did that. This was in early 2013, so we're seven years into this business that I created. And again, it started on the insurance side, CadSource Insurance Company. And so when I started that, I knew I wasn't going to go replicate my previous business, right? I wasn't going to go just do everything I was doing before, but insurance was the framework of what I was doing. So anyway, fast forward through that, I realized early on that I wanted to start creating content. Well, why did I want to start creating content? Because I was realizing 
that the messaging that I said at the very beginning of this was very poor in the insurance industry. So if I wanted to have conversations and introductions into new people, well, I needed to be something different, something unique. And so I started doing that. But I was asking myself, why do I want to create content? Why do I want to storytell? So I know this is a long story, but I'm getting to the point. Well, it was around 2011, my third daughter was born. And a month into her being born, she was in the hospital. And for what was a situation for you and I would have been a very bad cold, she had RSV. Well, at this point, that is very serious. And when you sleep overnight in a hospital with your child, it'll change you. It'll wake you up. You start realizing a lot of things. I knew some of these things, but living in that experience is a very different thing. And coming out of that hospital, you you feel different. You become different. You're not feeling right. And I realized right then and there, I needed to tell some stories. We had also, our dog had passed away later on. This is about six months later, a dog passed away. So you're starting to having this self-doubt. And you know, I've heard a lot of the stories that have been on your podcast. And I can't say that I've had those types of stories, but I think everyone's dealt with something. Some of them might not be the tearjerker. Some of them might be just your trials and tribulations that you've been dealing with, right? But I realized right then and there that the best thing I could do is put stuff into my head as opposed to trying my head talking to myself and talking negative. So I started listening to podcasts. I started really reading like to a next level of type of reading. I started listening to books. That content is what kept me going. So now fast forward a couple of years, I started creating these analogies between sports and business. And it was something that was interesting to me. And I realized it was really interesting to other people. So I started doing more and more of that. That was the birth of Sports Epreneur. That became a content platform. Nothing more than that than me, a place for I can tell stories about sports and business. It's evolved, I think. I do marketing. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about sports. That became the platform. That is my background in getting to sports. Sure, I have a background of loving sports. I'm a huge fan. I'm from Buffalo, New York. So of course, you grew up a Bills and Savers fans. My parents met at Ohio State. I have a huge background with the Buckeyes. I have other things that I've come to get into. I played a lot of sports. My kids played sports. So at the end of the day, though, it was about content for me to hear these different stories and to allow that. It doesn't always have to be positive, uplifting stuff, right? It could be so many different ways that you go about it to put good stuff in your head. And what happens is I was thinking, well, wait a second, why can't I do that? So that, again, was the birth of Sportsy Panora. It's continued to evolve over the years. And that's the background. I know it's a little bit longer than typically would be, but I think for your audience to understand that transition, because I think so many people are going through transitions. Every transition is very unique to themselves, but I think it's an important thing to go down that path to see where you were to where you are and think back and have some retrospective thoughts as to how you got to this place. Yeah, I think when you talk about your background, the whole concept of storytelling and content creation, especially in the nonprofit space, really the story is what people see about the nonprofit. Most people don't get the opportunity to experience the work that you do directly, right? They only get to see the story that you're telling them. And unfortunately, I've seen dozens and dozens of organizations around the country that are part of our network that are doing phenomenal work in their communities. And the problem is that they struggle to tell their story effectively. And they have chances getting the messaging because they're focused on delivering the service, which is really the key element that is the passion of why they started that organization in the first place. And so what we've seen is a great need for people such as yourself to help work with these organizations and fine-tune the messaging, fine-tune the delivery, fine-tune the platforms and how that message is getting out there on a consistent basis. Because in today's world, you kind of, you are what social media 
and your website says you are. And if you're doing a poor job telling the story there, I don't have any reason, unless I'm directly involved with your organization, to know that you're doing incredible work. So how do you start as you sit down with a new organization that you're working with? How do you start that process? Well, that process has been similar from since the beginning. And you mentioned nonprofits. Obviously, one of our first people that we worked with had a nonprofit, but also was a leader of a very strong financial company over on the West Coast. And as it turns out, this person was struggling with recruiting inside of their business. So it was a conversation. It was many conversations that we're having to getting to know and building a relationship. And what happened was they're recruiting financial advisors to come work for their firm. And they were realizing that the story that they're telling was not sinking in. It wasn't the right story. And the story that the people that they were recruiting were telling themselves wasn't working. And so the combination of the two was like, well, we're going to interview 400 people. We're going to hire 100 of them. Four of them are going to be pretty good. One of them might be an all-star. Those are really bad numbers. Well, as we have these different conversations of what they're trying to accomplish, he told me the story. Well, the story ended up becoming racing for orphans with Down syndrome. So it was about Ironman races. It was about getting out there. And he realized in order to run an Ironman, he had to not do it for himself. He had to do it for somebody else. Well, so you fast forward through that conversation a little bit. You start to realize like that's the story. That's the mentorship program. So to answer your question, it was having those conversations. It was getting in depth. It was asking the hard questions to get to that point to say, well, no, that's the story you want to talk about. Because what happens is that person that you're trying to bring into the organization, you have products and services. You have all those things. Kind of like you were saying, what they're looking for is that true mentor, that person that they actually want to be around. Again, that's in the financial services space, but it all went back to who that person was as a person. And that was racing for orphans with Down syndrome and the cause that he was leaving and the difference he was making to someone like me, who if I want to get in the financial services space, I said, I want that guy to be my mentor. I want that person to be my leader. I want to be around that person. So going through these different types of conversations, it's sitting down, it's doing conversations like we're having now. We have podcasts. I have three podcasts. But for the most part, there's one type of podcast that we have, and it's a conversation-style podcast, very much like what you're doing right now. And we dig deeper and deeper and deeper and we get into the core. And that, in essence, is a part of that process. It doesn't have to be a podcast. But those types of conversations, all we're doing is hitting the record button on a conversation. But when you get into it a little bit more and you learn their background and what makes them tick and why they're doing what they're doing and what they're really passionate about, because here's the thing, I'm only doing the things for them that I've done for myself. I just told you the story about being in the insurance business. I'm the last guy in the world to show up to lunch with you or go play golf with you and say, hey, Roy, how's your life insurance doing? This is not me. It was never going to be me. I just didn't like that. But I understood like the need for insurance. But it was more than that. I was in this process to say, well, if I'm not going to do that, how am I going to build my business? And I was so super passionate about creating content. So all I did is I did what I thought was best for my business. And I felt like if it's good enough for me, then it could be good enough for the person that I'm talking to. It's not for everybody. I totally understand it. It was never designed to be built for everybody. I like to look at it this way. It's for the deep-rooted and not so average. I don't mean by it's not so average that everyone else is not good enough. That's not it at all. It's just, it's a way to say it. But it's the deep-rootedness really matters to me. You be in Chicago or me being in Buffalo, like you can be a Bills fan. When you really get into that conversation of why someone's a Bills fan, there's just more depth to it. There's just, it's like European soccer. When you go to, you know, Manchester United, you're like, just get into the depths of what does it mean to be a fan of that team? There's a Netflix documentary 
subtle until the day I die. And you watch these people live and die with their team. And it's necessarily, again, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's not about the team. It's just about the deep rootedness that's there for all of us if you want to go there. And if you don't, again, totally okay. But those are the types of conversations that we're having. That's what I'm fascinated about. And that's how we begin the process of pulling this type of stuff out to help them tell their story. So tell us a little bit now about Sports Epreneur and how you work in that space and what kinds of projects you'd like to take on there. Yeah. So like I said before, Sports Epreneur being a content platform, a collaborative team, and a sports content marketing brand, that is. So what I like to do is talk to difference makers in and around the world of sports. Obviously, I've mentioned sports often here. I think there's just an incredible relationship between sports and business. I've always felt that way. So my stories originally started with create different analogies. A lot of it now is just talking to difference makers in and around the world of sports. And what we would like to do is collaborate. At the end of the day, it's a collaboration, no different than a podcast recording. We're collaborating together, Roy, you and I, and it's just this conversation and you're going to post it live. Well, we want to do those types of collaborations. So we work with people, like I said, they don't have to be an athlete. They don't have to be a trainer, but they might be. It could be a combination of those things. Different people we worked with, just think off the top of my head, golf professionals, people in mental health. I think mental health is centered. There's so much going on in sports with mental health. We just had Colin Jones, who's the first Black Olympian world record holder in swimming. I mean, incredible stories. We talked about just coaching and mentoring, soccer content creators. I think there's incredible opportunities for soccer in the sports, college basketball coaches, advocates for mental health. So maybe not a mental health coach per se, not someone who's actually in therapy business, but more as an advocate in it, talking about those different types of conversations. And it's a combination. So either we're going to help them out in creating their own unique content for themselves, or we're going to collaborate together. So we have contributors to the Sports Supernewer content platform where they're going to come on and they're going to interview different people. So we've had people on our podcast, for example, like an Alan Major. He was a head coach at UNC Charlotte, assistant basketball coach for Xavier and Ohio State. And he's in the process of interviewing different people. He's going to be interviewing Thad Mata, who's obviously one of the top basketball coaches ever at Ohio State Basketball. He'll be interviewing him on our podcast. And all of it is, is, is leadership and telling stories. And here's the thing. It drives all of what I do is all about self-betterment. And, and sometimes, you know, my younger self might laugh at this, but if I'm doing those things of self-betterment, I believe selfishly it's going to help myself. It's going to help my family. It's going to help my business. It's going to help anyone that's listening to our content. So if I can in any way share something that could possibly help you, Roy, or anybody else that might be listening, that's what we want to be doing. And with that, we're going to have amazing conversations. We're going to have amazing opportunities because that's what this is. The content is just the beginning of that conversation. It might be the conversation. It then leads to the next thing. And so if you can have those types of conversations, you don't know what opportunities land on the other side. I know people talk about funnels all the time. I don't look at it like that. I look at it like it's just a conversation. Sure, it might be at the very top. We have the conversation and you have that. And the next thing you know, you're having other conversations. People might say, hey, can you do that for me? Because again, that is how it started for us. People started seeing sports entrepreneur and they say, wait a second, I didn't know you could do that. I know you could storytell and you could be in a different business or whatever that might be. Can you help me do that for me? Now, they might not care about the same things that you care about. And chances are they have different interests or more unique interests than you have. They have a different talent stack. That's the thing that they should lean into. That's the thing that they should attack. And that's the thing that they should create, whether it's around their foundation or their business or themselves and to put more stuff out there. Yeah, it's interesting because so many of the skills that you're describing are transferable to whatever industry or business you're in. 
And people get very wrapped up in the specifics of where they're working. Like you talk about the skills you developed, you developed from doing work in the insurance industry. And a lot of people that are good at sales will tell you it doesn't matter what they're selling, right? They learn the fundamentals and the basics of selling and they can go into a lot of different industries and and be successful. And I think when you get to the heart of it, what you're really talking about is how you relate to people. And, and how you interact because no matter what you're doing, even if you don't consider yourself in sales, you're still selling the vision of what you're doing. You're still selling yourself in terms of getting somebody to trust Eric and make sure that they're comfortable working with Eric because if you go and look around out there, right, there's thousands and thousands of content creators and people who are running podcasts and webinars and all kinds of other things. They're choosing to work with you for a reason because they've connected with you. So as you look at yourself and kind of evaluate backwards and say, what draws people to Eric? What makes you different from a lot of the other people are out there in terms of how you approach this process? Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. I mean, there's the word that comes to mind. And again, it's not for everybody and it's dynamic. Dynamic in the sense of there's multiple things going on. There's multiple understandings. There's multiple people that we've partnered with. My business partner is known as the strategy addict. And when I think of content, I think of marketing. Well, we can have a marketing strategy. And I think that's very important. But I think we need to look at the entire business as a whole. And we have to understand where they're trying to go with their business, with themselves and all these different directions that they're going with. When I can align myself with someone who understands finance, who understands strategy, who understands content and marketing and sports and all these different things, and you stack those together, it's a unique take and it's a thing that we do not run into. I don't know another business as a background insurance strategy, market, all these different things that we could add up together that also does content creation. And so that is the difference. And so sitting down and having those types of conversations, clients see it very early on. Again, I'm not saying that there's other content creators. We work very well with other marketing companies because you might have a marketing company that is, let's say they're great with SEOs. They only do SEO. Well, they realize that in order to have great SEO, they need great content. And so they need a combination of those things. So they need a content creator on the other side of that to help them out. But I think at the end of the day, it is that dynamic. It's that relationship. It is our thought process of colliding the different things that we collide, that I collide. That's how I see things. I like to collide things. So for the beginning, it was sports and entrepreneurship. If I could take a sports idea and collide it with something in entrepreneurship, then great. But if I can add marketing and business and thinking and life and family and collide all those things together, that is the difference. So I look at it. It's sportsypreneurs where sports and entrepreneurship collide. But truthfully, there's a lot more stuff in there to collide it. We think through different businesses. We've been there. Like... When you do insurance, if you're doing a buy-sell agreement for a business, you have to understand their business. You have to understand the, the relationships and all the moving parts of that. That is something that is very unique in the marketing business. Again, it's not calling out different marketing companies. It's just different. And that's how we look at it. So dynamic is the play. If someone comes in there and they want to box it up and they can only have it in this beautiful box, it has to be exactly how they need it. That's okay. That might not be us. That might not be where we fit in. But when we look at it and the way we have, it's it's that relationship. It's that conversation. It's when I have someone on the podcast and I've had a conversation with them and we built a relationship a little bit on the front end and maybe we have the conversation during the podcast and then afterwards. I want them leaving like, we really do care for them. We do care about that conversation. We do care about showcasing the difference that they're making. 
And that's in any business though. That's no different in insurance. It's no different in philanthropy, real estate, whatever that is. At the end of the day, yeah, I get it. If you're selling a car, the car sells itself. Even the worst salesperson can sell the best car. That's fine. We're talking about when you can build that relationship and there's something there. And sometimes they can't explain what that is, right? That is the difference. That is the dynamic thing. But it does go back to understanding business, strategy, finance, and all these different things and being able to tell a good story. And then how do you do it? How do you have a podcast? I mean, there's that article in the New York Times. Is, are we at peak podcast? Yeah, I think we are. If you want to be Joe Rogan, the relationship is if you want to be the next Taylor Swift in music writing. Yeah, yeah, that's very difficult to do. But I think in a podcast, like if no one listened or if one person listened, that might be enough. Like that might teach you all you need to know about how you speak, how you ask questions. You might be able to learn something where I get to talk to you and I get to have this type of conversation with someone that we don't meet if it's not for a podcast. If you're not having this podcast, chances are we're not chatting and vice versa. And I think that leverage component, now this word's thrown around a lot, genuine or authentic. And you know people say it and they might not be truly genuine or authentic, but there's a leverage piece to that. So if I have a podcast, and I can have Colin Jones on the podcast, there's leverage in that. Now, we have an incredible conversation and I learn a ton and I want to help Colin out and what can we do to help him out? So we're going to post this stuff everywhere. But if we do that, that is leverage that I don't meet Colin if it's not for the podcast. And there's many other people just like that. But is what did you do with that opportunity? And that's what this is all about. I think content breeds different opportunity. It goes back to strategy but it has to be real. It has to be genuine. When you start screwing people over, you lose that really fast. I didn't build a business to go out of business for something stupid. I think what's interesting, what you're really bringing up is the whole authenticity element where people, I think, frequently go backwards where they try and come up with something that they think they need to go and produce as opposed to finding quality people where they can have the conversations and really dive into the context of the discussion. Because when you sit there and and part of the reason we don't script these podcasts is specifically for that authenticity. It's the conversations go where we take it. And a lot of people that have been on here have really interesting stories to tell. And some of them, no matter how many times we've spoken before, have never told me some of those stories. And then when they get on this form of a podcast, they start off with something. And if I had scripted it, we would be going completely a different direction and really missing an opportunity. And I think there's a great element out there where people like to share and people like to learn from each other. And what's been really interesting to me as we've done these podcasts and the inventory has grown is getting feedback from people on which ones they've listened to and why. Because not too many people are going and listening to everything that's out there. But as I hear from people when they're preparing for a podcast, they, they come and tell me, I listen to these three or these four. And it's interesting to know why they pick those people, why they pick those topics. And there's so many individuals out there in the business space and in the sports philanthropy space that have incredible stories. As I say, one of my favorite events that I never used to enjoy as a TV production was NFL Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. It's just long, drawn out, all of this stuff. But one time I think I was sick and I couldn't go out and do anything. So I really sat there the whole night and listened to these stories that were told about these players and that they told during their induction speech. And you hear what they went through in their lives. It's really incredible to see how close many of them were from really derailing their careers, going off of the tracks. But there was somebody that figuratively grabbed them by the back of the collar 
and yank them back. And typically that was somebody in, in middle school or high school, be a teacher or a coach or a mentor that helped get them back on track. But if you think about it, as many times as we've seen these guys play, by the time they're getting to the Hall of Fame, you think about how many games they've played in, in college and in the NFL. And yet, what percentage of the audience has ever heard their actual story and what made them successful and put them on the right track? Absolutely. Yeah. And you talk about a transition when it, it might happen in middle school or lower school. Sometimes that transition doesn't happen to an athlete until much later. We're working with someone right now. I can't say his name at this time, but his incredible high division one college football player, NFL player, multiple knee injuries, and four years into his career is really out of the league. And he asked the question of what now? What do I do now? How do I transition to that next step? Why am I here? What am I going to do? And, and what's interesting is you hear that conversation over and over again. And now you have a lot of former players talking to the current players or people in and around sports, really, to get themselves prepared for the next step, right? You hear CJ McCollum, who's out there advocating to say, start creating something, start doing something. You can have a podcast while you're playing. You have a lot of downtime. There's an opportunity for you to do these things. Again, easier said than done. And not everyone maybe have the know-how to do it, but there is an opportunity to transition so we always say it. I mean, I'm looking at it now and say, well, you know what? People are losing jobs right now. Whether you're an athlete or not, things aren't going on the way they were going on. What are you doing about it? And I think the best time to have created content was before, right? It's the old Chinese proverb. And we hear that all the time. But 20 years ago, 10 years ago, what yesterday, what, when the second best time is right now, start creating right now. I know people have extra time. They're not traveling. They aren't in rush hour. But honestly, even if you are in rush hour, you can hit the record button. We just did a podcast about that. There's ways to create content. It might not be the best produced. There's a way to do it. But for these athletes and they're transitioning, their career is going to end, whether they like it or not. They're going to get hurt. They're going to be not as good as they once were. They're going to get cut. There's just different things that are going to happen. And they have this incredible ability to share their different stories. And a lot of them come out there wanting to help, maybe help their old neighborhood, help teachers, help schools, help clean water, help get every kid a bicycle. And there's a million things that you could be passionate about that you can do to make a difference. Maybe there's a disease that they want to help out. We work with this company called Push-Ups for Parkinson's. And this guy's got an incredible story. And he talks about his dad and his grandfather that he lost to Parkinson's. Well, he's promised to do a lot of push-ups. <laughs> you know, they got 10 million, 100 million push-ups. And there's just different stories that people can get associated with. But if you start creating content around that and your feelings around that, then people don't know. It's kind of like you were saying at the beginning. They don't know until you start sharing that story. It's not self-promotion. You are truly trying to help someone out. So when they get that, because trust me, I've gone through the same thing. Why would I share anything? Who's going to listen to me? Why would they do this? This is going to be stupid. My friends are going to make fun of me and it's going to be... But once you start doing it, you start realizing like, there are people you're helping out there. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's a million. I don't know. But it's not about the number to me. But they're athletes that have incredible followings. And them just, I've seen it before. I've been to a hockey game when a player for the Buffalo Sabres flips, looks at my son and he's like... Five years old, he flips a puck over to him. Is Tim Connolly, right? And, and he's not very well known anymore, but I'll never forget that moment. He made my son like the happiest kid ever. Right. That little thing. He could send a message on Instagram and he could say, Hey, Mason, I'm so glad you're a saver. Whatever they say, those things can make all the difference in the world. So when they get out of their career and there's something they're passionate about, they got some fans behind them that are willing to help them out. Yeah, it's what's really interesting when you describe that is. As you said, the best time to have done it is 20 years ago. The second best time to do it is today. 
we, we live in an impatient society. People want everything now. People that have never used social media want to sign up for Twitter today and then are unhappy that they don't have thousands and thousands of followers. And it's like, well, you haven't been doing anything. And so unless you have an existing platform because you're a professional athlete or movie star or recording artist, you can draw people from that platform. But if you're just what we would describe as a regular business person, you've got to build that over time. And that's something that takes time to cultivate. If you look at the people that have built up followings on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, whatever the platform is, they've worked at it. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that gentleman, uh, JT Fox, that I've been to a number of his seminars and presentations, he always talks about the fact that one of the hardest places to become popular and to get a footing is in your backyard. Because in your own backyard, people look at you and they're like, oh, well, Eric's just a guy I went to high school with or went to college with or we played softball or whatever the case may be. And they don't look at it and take it as seriously as your qualifications now would dictate. But if you go into a place where where people don't know you for something else, then the only thing that they're looking at is what content is Eric putting out today? What kind of work are you doing? Can you help my business? And that becomes the model for whether they're going to engage you or not. They don't have a preconceived notion of what you were like 20, 15, 10 years ago. Right? They're looking at what can you do for me now from a business perspective. And I think that's one of the challenges a lot of the athletes have. You talked about the fact that they don't build up that following or don't take that, invest that time into developing a podcast or creating content while they're playing, well, that's a wasted opportunity because you have a great platform right now. People will listen to you because you play in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, right? As soon as you retire, now your only platform is premised on two things, right? Number one, how you performed on the ice, and number two, how you performed in the community. So unless you were a superstar or unless you really developed an organization in your community that is there and going to be behind you, you're at a significant disadvantage. And so taking advantage of it while you play, investing that time into, as you said, a podcast, a blog, whatever it is, now you've got something that you can be known for. And I think from the athlete side, what might even be more important is it helps them cultivate and identify for themselves what is their passion, what is their identity, and what do they want to be when they get done playing? Because everybody is an ex-athlete, right, coming out of the league. The question is, what are you going to be now? Do you want to always just be a retired NFL player? We meet a lot of those guys everywhere. And the big distinction is the ones that have identified a new course of action and a new business that they're pursuing. And then the ones that want to just shake hands, take pictures and play golf. And that's really the only skill that they've ever cultivated for themselves, which is not good. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a conversation with Grant Wiley, who's a leading tackler in the history of West Virginia football. And I think he said it best. He says, when you're playing, everyone wants a piece of you. When you're gone, your cool factor goes away real quick. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of players, no matter if they're coming out of college or professional sports, that their cool factor is going to go away. Yeah, it, that cool factor is, is something you see at every level because you see even here in suburban Chicago, if you get 
Hell's Hall's just a couple miles away from here. If you get a Bears player that wanders into a school, he could be the backup guard that hardly ever plays. And all the kids are going to go home and remember when they talk to their parents and friends. And for the next 10 years is we had a Bear player come to our school, right? Now, if that guy gets cut in training camp in August or September and shows up at that same school next year without the jersey, just as a former player, the response for most of the kids will be like, your name's what? Yeah. I don't ever remember seeing you <laughs> right, play, right. right? All of a sudden now it's premised on what you accomplished, not just the fact that you got there. And as you know, just getting to the league is an enormous accomplishment. So it's an interesting dichotomy that you see with the way the players approach it. And frankly, as a former NFL agent, I'll tell you, I think a lot of the agents do a disservice to their players by not helping them prepare for that stage. The players resist it. They may not be that interested because all they're focused on is their on-field career right now. But I think they need to be pushed to really take advantage of the opportunities that they can create while they're playing. Are you seeing that change right now with some agents? I mean, you see like a Vanner Sports that's coming in there. They're making a difference in that. Do you see other agents doing that? I think that the agents are getting better at it. When I started, it was about 2000 and the marketplace really didn't want to dictate that all of these social media didn't really exist in that context. And so you didn't have some of these easily translatable platforms. So either you were high enough level to warrant marketing dollars or sponsorships, or you weren't. And so a lot of the agents weren't I don't feel preparing their players really for what two things. One is the business side of what happens in football, meaning your career is going to be relatively short. What are you going to be prepared to do when you walk out that door? And number two is what impact are you going to make on the community? You've got a great platform. You've got a great opportunity in comparison to most of the world. You make a lot of money, even if in the nature of your team, you're at the minimum salary, you're still making a lot more than almost anybody in the country. So what are you doing to give back? And I truly feel most athletes have a great desire to give back to their communities, but they're never taught or given any guidance on how to do that effectively. So the ones that can figure it out on their own, that's great. But I think for everyone that can figure it out on their own, there's another 10 that would really be interested in doing that with the proper support. Yeah, I think it'll be former athletes a lot of times, them creating some content, maybe interviewing or having conversations with them or them guiding them along. I think that could be the process that could change it a little bit to where they start creating because you'll never have a bigger platform than when you're there. And you could build up your audience, right? You could start building up your audience in high school and for sure in college. You can't monetize it in college as we know, but you can build it up and then build it soon enough, right? If we can start sports again. Well, you probably will be able to soon. That's a change. So we're going to get through that name, image, and likeness issue and uh, let players do it. I think the challenge they're going to have is how you start regulating the difference between what the players monetizing, what we'll call quote unquote legitimately from their social media and from their following and what essentially becomes a bribe or other type of payment for the player to go to, let's say Michigan instead of Ohio State or vice versa. How do you distinguish between what is the legitimate use of Eric's name, image and likeness? Because 
I like Eric. Eric's a good looking guy. We're going to put him on a billboard versus I'm paying you to come to my school instead of go to a rival school. And I think that's going to be a big challenge. It's going to open up a lot of different challenges and opportunities. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with it. Yeah, it will be. And and that kind of... As we get towards the end here, I want to give an opportunity for you to throw out your contact information so people know how to get a hold of you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So you can find me. I think the best places are on LinkedIn and Twitter, Eric Kazimov. And my Twitter handle is Eric underscore Kaz, K-A-Z. But then you can just connect with us on Sports Epreneur. It's not as difficult as it sounds. Sports Epreneur. And check us out on sportsepreneur.com or on Instagram. Fantastic. And so before we let you go, I kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit here just for fun. I want to throw it out to you and use our magic sports philanthropy superpowers. And we're going to appoint you as the commissioner of one of the sports. So tell us what sport you would pick. Well, the sport I would pick, I'm going to go off the radar a little bit because of the upside in this economy of buy low and sell high. I have incredible upside for soccer in this country, football, European football. So I'm going to actually take the MLS. Nice. And so looking at the soccer world, tell us what you would like to see change. Is there a rule in soccer that you would like to see change to make the game more exciting? Yeah. So specifically for the MLS, what I think needs to happen is a combination of having interleague games versus different levels that you would have perhaps in England. So if you could get to the championship league, right? Or different levels, if you get to the Premier League, get in some of those stadiums, that'd be great. But to get it more even to have an interleague type of competition cup between those two different leagues and have the games being played here in the United States and over in England. And I think what you need to do is just start balancing the fans, right? Because I think they're so passionate about the game in England over in Europe. If they can start seeing maybe these players and these teams up close, I think you'd have a big difference. So the one thing that the MLS needs is cash. And so I think the rule would be they'd have to create a cup between these two different leagues. And I think you would start creating a level of engagement that could grow very fast for that league. If they continue just to stay locally or North America, I think it's just going to be a slower growth. I think they'll still get there because I think the game has an incredible potential here. I think so many of these other sports, great sports, don't get me wrong, NFL's the king and NBA's huge worldwide, but they're at a high level. They'll continue to go up, but soccer has this incredible upside and there's something about it. And people have said some things on other podcasts of yours. Baseball is obviously a sport that these games take too long. College football, the games take too long. I love college football. There's nothing better, but we're four hours in and the game's not over yet. That's a real problem for me. Soccer is two hours. That's it. And you have halftime, you have some commercials there. The branding's on the field, it's on the jerseys. So there's incredible upside just from a time standpoint of the way we want to consume our content. I don't want to take four hours and watch the game. I love Ohio State. I love the Bills. I love these different sports. But for me, I have three kids. If I'm going to watch a game from one to four, or a lot of times from 12 to four for college football, it's too long. I'm going to DVR the game. I'm going to watch it at my convenience. My son's playing the game. My daughters and I are outside doing something else. So soccer's got this incredible upside, but they have to engage it and they have to get it from other places. The NBA has been the best at this and they, they're global. If you go overseas, that sport is enormous. Soccer already is global, but they need to get their brand over to other countries. So I think if you can get MLS over in England or some other countries, you will make it more global, at least at, to a different level. They got the sport there and that's the difference. So it's not going to be as easy, but man, you start seeing your favorite team. If you're a DC United fan or LAFC fan and they're playing in uh, Fulham Stadium, Craven Cottage, and you get a game like that with the sun going down, uh, it's, it'd be amazing. And I think fans would love that. Yeah, you start sending MLS teams over to Anfield or Old Trafford or any of those places, it's, it's going to be a different world. I think the challenge 
from a U.S. perspective on the soccer side, and I'm a soccer guy. I was playing from U8 when U8 was a young starting age. Now my son, when yeah. he started playing, was at four. So yeah. eight would be old to start playing in today's world. But you look at what it would mean. I, I think the challenge is going to be getting the European sides or the European leagues to create what you're describing, which is really like an ACC Big Ten basketball challenge type of format for for the Premier League and the MLS and having them perceive us as relatively an equal level league. I don't think the MLS is perceived on the level of La Liga or the Premier League at this point. Right. They're not. But what I would do is you go down a little bit. So you go to the championship league or you go to level two. And I don't know if you can see this, but there's some people in there. That's a dollar sign. So just here in Charlotte, you have Dave Tepper, who just... Charlotte was not high up to get an MLS team. They were on the list, but they were down there and they weren't going to get it. He buys the Panthers. He says, I want an MLS team. What does he do? He goes out and gets an expansion MLS team. It's going to start next year. He's got more money than most of the owners in American sports. I'm not saying he's even thought of this idea. I have no idea if he has. But if you have someone who can write a big enough check to get that game, they'll get the game, right? That's what it's going to take. It's going to take someone who's willing to invest the money. Now, maybe it'd be his team that's going to get to go over there. So be it. Someone has to showcase. Someone has to be the first, but it's money. (laughs) Oh, it it would be fun. I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I agree, soccer has an enormous amount of upside. I think it's lagged the expectation in terms of how quickly people thought it would really get going. But I think the MLS now is getting to that level. I think One of the things that's really hurt the U.S. soccer market over the last eight years is how poorly the men's national team has performed and all of the drama in in USA soccer has really been a, a hindrance to that process. Yeah, it's a big issue. U.S. soccer not being in the World Cup and U.S. is a big country. So a lot of these other countries they're dealing with are very small. They have systems within those countries or they have not so many systems within those countries. U.S. soccer doesn't have that. And that's a big problem that's slowing them down for sure. Right. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for coming on with us today. We really enjoyed the conversation. I think you've given us some great insight into the kind of work you do at Sportsypreneur. And we'll put up all Eric's information on our page. So you'll be able to contact him and hopefully reach out and find ways to collaborate. I know he does some great work. And Eric, thank you again. I look forward to working with you. Thank you, Roy. Thanks for having this platform and for having me on. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.